Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we left off last time uh, with a pretty big downer. Uh, sin has entered God's perfect world. And uh, we looked at the nature of temptation and everything that happened with the serpent and uh, the woman and the man. And so today we've kind of split it up uh, so we can dig a little deeper into the fallout um, after the fall and kind of what happens to the relationship with God, what happens to man's relationship to creation, their relationship to each other. We, we started to talk a little bit about that last week, but this week, uh, Lord willing, we can really get into Genesis 3.8 down through the end of the chapter and talk about um, the curses that happen. And uh, again, all of this is setting the scene for the rest of the Bible story. And this is an important section to see because we learn a character trait about God that we really haven't seen in up, up to this point. And that is, what does God do when man sins? What is his character like whenever man transgresses deliberately against what God said? What is he going to do? And the reason why that's really important to understand is because it will set up the expectation for how God reacts when there is sin in someone's life for the rest of the Bible. And if God overlooks sin, then sin has no significance. It was never a big deal to begin with. But if there is a punishment, if there is consequence for sin, then sin is serious. And ultimately, what we're going to learn today as well is that when God takes punishing sin seriously, it also helps us understand what grace is as well. And so all of that is intertwined as we come to see what the fallout of mankind's sin is. So let's read. Um, again, it feels weird to pick up right in the middle of this, but we've just had the first sin, um, and the serpent has tempted Eve. She is she knows what she's doing. She's repeated the command, um, and the serpent has tempted her. You will not surely die. God knows what's going to happen. She sees that the tree is good for food. It's a delight to the eyes. It's desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, gave it to her husband, who was with her. He ate. Their eyes were open. So verse 7, let's actually pick up reading there. Um, we touched on this last week. It says, Genesis 3, verse 7. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So here we come to God coming to man after they have sinned. 
And there's a lot of really good things to unpack here as we consider how we respond after we've sinned as well. But one of the first things I like to point out in this is that God was the one who made the first move. God was the one that came looking for man in the garden. And the reason why that's really important to to see is because you can tell God wants to do something about this. He's not just, as soon as they eat the, the fruit, snapping his finger and they're just gone you know yeah, wiping out easily been the last chapter of the bible <laughs> that is right but god goes looking for them and it also gives us a look into what the nature of man and woman and god's relationship was like in this garden there was a dwelling together with god god was walking around in the garden it's a, just a very cool image to think about but what's different now is that man and woman have hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. And that is often one of the first things that we do whenever we've sinned. We try to hide from the consequences. Real simple, isn't it, Stephen? I mean, we see it in kids, but what do kids often do after they've lied or done something wrong? They want to hide and and don't want to confront it. And I, I do think you see the Lord dealing like a parent would with their children here. Um, it is interesting that he doesn't just come in immediately in blazing wrath, as he certainly could have, mm-hmm. but he deals initially gently in, in trying to get them to see what they've done. And again, it's kind of crazy to think about that Adam and Eve, this is the first time anybody sinned, and so there's no precedent. There's no like, okay, what what happens now? You know, God did say, in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. I didn't drop dead when I ate that fruit. Um, Maybe there are some more nuances to this thing. Maybe the serpent was right. Now they do feel ashamed. They're like, well, something changed. My eyes were open. Now I'm naked. I'm scared. The man and his wife were hiding from each other. And now, of course, in verse 8, they're also hiding from the presence of the Lord God. And that's just so sad. I mean, this perfect fellowship that they had is broken. And... It's interesting, like you already pointed out, that God takes the initiative. I don't know if they know that they can go to God. Right. Like, can what, what, what's going to happen if I? Is he going to kill me if I talk to them? You <laughs> yeah. know, like all the questions that might have gone through their minds because they just don't know. This is the first time this has happened, and so God's first question to them, I think, is really telling. Uh, there's actually, if you just walk through from here on out and look at the questions that God asks. And look at the questions, even going into chapter 4 with Cain and Abel, it's really interesting to study the questions in Genesis 3 and 4. So the first question God asks is, where are you? And that's not because God doesn't know where they are, of course, but that's a really helpful question for us to be like, listen, really, where are you? Not just physically, I'm behind the tree over here, (laughs) thanks for asking. No, like, where are you spiritually? What have you done? He doesn't say what have you done, but he says, he'll say that in a minute to the woman, but where are you? Um, and that also gets the, I'm, I'm hiding from God is the answer. Yes. That's where I am. Yes. I'm not with you because I don't want to be. I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I'm probably a little bit confused. I don't know what to do. And that's what God is looking for. I think it's some innocence and also some a little bit of humility on their part, as we've already read. That's not really what he gets from them, though. Mm-hmm. And 
Adam's answer to God is really interesting in verse 10. He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. This had to be some conflicting feelings for Adam. Up until this point, nothing is mentioned of Adam being afraid of God. Now, I do believe that there was a a fear there in a good sense that the creator and the creation should have. But this is the first time Adam is afraid because of something that he's done. And he also recognizes that he has to hide himself because he is naked. Like Stephen said a second ago, his eyes have been opened in some other way. And we talked about that in last week's podcast. But he answers God very honestly initially here. He says, I was afraid, so I hid, I hid from you. And in verse 11, God, as Stephen pointed out, will continue to ask more and more questions. He'll ask, who told you that you were naked? Which, if I were God and I'm not, I just don't think I would have thought to ask that question. I really appreciate that. Because he's really trying to get Adam and Eve to think through the authority of who told them that they would, you know, get some kind of advantage of some kind by eating this fruit. Who told you that? And that's a good question to ask ourselves whenever we find ourselves hiding from God or, or sitting and basking in the shame of sin. Well, what led us here? Who were we listening to? What were we relying on that led up to this very point? I just think that's a really important thing to think mm-hmm. about. Yeah, and then, of course, the pointed question, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And that I think that's super important when it just comes to teaching your children and disciplining them is like they need to understand what they've done wrong. And God makes it very clear here. He's asking the question, listen, I, you know I told you not to eat from that tree. And have you done the thing that I told you not to do? There's no confusion. There's no gray area. It's like, okay, have you done this? But it's interesting that he doesn't say, I know you did this. Yeah. He asks them to admit it. It is an invitation to confess. Yes. And that is so different from a just a confrontation where it's like, I know you did this. Here's the evidence. God is giving them every opportunity to show true repentance and to say, I did it. I did it. I mean, again, God is asking these questions not for his benefit, but for theirs. It's a yes or no question. Mm-hmm. Did you do this or did you not do this? And, of course, Adam responds with not a yes or a no, but a, well, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave from the tree, and I ate. Yeah, so he does confess, but only after throwing <laughs> the woman and God, in a sense, under the bus yeah. and say, but it wasn't my fault. Right. And you talk about economy of words here. That is a uh, that's a concise blame game right there. Mm-hmm. The woman whom you gave. Those five words, but like he blames two others in that short phrase. And so again, we see what sin does. It immediately leads to broken relationships. The man and his wife were naked and not ashamed just a few verses ago. Now again, we don't know how much time has passed, but now not only are they ashamed and hiding, but they're blaming each other and saying, no, it's not my fault. It was the woman. And really, God, you're the one who gave me the woman. Remember the surgery and all that? Like, if you hadn't given me this woman, she we wouldn't be here. And so, I don't know. It's, it's really uh, sobering to think about how quickly things turn nasty 
when sin enters the picture and we're ashamed and we're afraid and we want anyone to be blamed but us. We want to shift as much blame as we can to other people. And yeah. God is inviting us to own what we've done. That's on, We can only really begin to deal with sin when we first own, I have sinned uh, and I am guilty. Yeah. When the, when the spotlight comes to us, we don't need to run away. We just need to stay in it and own up to it. But, and, and of course, it's kind of interesting as you watch the camera pan around now because, you know, here man is blaming woman. And so in verse 12, the camera shifts over to the woman in verse 13. And uh, God will ask her a question. What is this that you have done? Again, he doesn't start off like Stephen pointed out with a, and pointed, you did this, here's the evidence. But he asks a question. And she says in verse 13, Well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And then in verse 14, the, the Lord will shift to the serpent. But it's also interesting. The Lord doesn't ask the serpent any questions. Yeah, it just starts with the consequences. <laughs> he just is like, I'm not even talking to you. Yeah. I'm just like telling you your punishment. Exactly. But the, the woman, even herself, does not own up to this, but blames the devil blames the serpent and says, he's deceived me and I ate. But God is looking for an open confession. I did this. And it is really interesting to think about what what it would have looked like. There likely or definitely would have still been consequences, but what it would have looked like for man and woman if there had been humility on their part. Mm-hmm. And, and it's amazing to me that God is giving them every opportunity to do this. And we, they react, and of course we can analyze their reactions but the fact is we see ourselves in this uh it's just so typical of humanity that we want to shift the blame we want to get other people in the spotlight we don't want that focused on us and so when we think about what happens here it's interesting to see the order of things so god comes to the man first and what's kind of interesting is like the serpent came to the woman the woman gave to the man and then the God comes to the man first and confronts him. Where are you? Mm-hmm. It's Adam's responsibility to be the head, to rule over creation. The woman is helping him to do that. But God comes to the man first, and the man has failed, and he does not get to pass the blame. He has to bear responsibility for what he's done and for his failure as a head. And then he turns to the woman and says, well, what have you done? <laughs> And she doesn't get to pass the blame either. She is guilty for what she's guilty of. She listened to the serpent. She was deceived. She ate. And then he turns to the serpent. And what's interesting is, of course, he's not going to ask the serpent a question, but we're going to go in reverse order here. So the sin has kind of come in, serpent, woman, man. God has come in in the reverse order, man, woman, serpent. And now the punishments are going to come in, serpent, woman, man. (laughs) So it's kind of interesting that the order kind of goes back and forth here. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's go ahead and read verse 14 and 15. This is uh, the first of the consequences, like Stephen said this, pointed out um, to the serpent. So verse 14 says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So this is a 
there's fascinating things about all of the different consequences here, but fascinating things here with the serpent. Um, so the serpent apparently knew exactly what he was doing. The devil knew uh, he was there to tempt, and God doesn't even really have a conversation with him. He just says, you're, you're cursed because of this. And he doesn't kill the serpent, um, but he curses the serpent. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. Um, and I heard this pointed out recently. It's just, this may not be a huge point, but it is, is interesting. That the, there are only two things that are actually the word cursed is used for here, and they are the serpent mm-hmm. in verse 14 and the ground in verse 17. Cursed is the ground because of you. That From a technical standpoint, the word curse is not used for the woman or the man. Yeah, I'd not noticed that before. I, I found that interesting. Yeah. So the serpent is cursed. And what is his curse? On your belly you shall go, and yeah. dust you shall eat. And so there's this idea of the serpent was kind of raising himself up and exalting himself in the eyes of Eve and saying, oh, I know really what's going on here with God. I know more about the consequences than God does. You will not surely die, and God's holding out on you and all this. But now the serpent, he has exalted himself, and he is humbled. He has to eat dirt. <laughs> like, And I don't think that means literally, like, okay, you now have to ingest dirt. That is your <laughs> nutrition. No, but man was created from the dirt, and it's like this humble the lowliest of the substances and now the serpent's gonna like eat dirt like he's down on his face in the ground so dust is going to be kind of an important thing here because it's going to come up at the end of what god says to the man for you are dust and to dust you shall return death is part of all of this but what's interesting is it's not just the serpent but we now have an introduction of a bible theme in verse 15 Uh of the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent, or the seed, I guess is another way of saying that. Yeah, it's really interesting. So he kind of he pulls the woman into this consequence, and he goes, okay, so from here on, or for a while, there is going to be this constant struggle between you and the woman. And like Stephen said, specifically between the offspring. And it is fascinating as you think about the, the phrasing, just biologically, of saying the seed of woman, typically, and natural anatomy and biology the seed comes from the man but it specifies that from the woman there is going to be this offspring that has this battle with the offspring of satan and what's really cool is that this is really the first reference we have to who i think is jesus christ the offspring of woman going to be jesus having some kind of eternal battle with the offspring of satan And whenever Jesus comes on the scene, all the way over in the New Testament, Jesus is having a battle with the offspring of Satan. And at one point in John 8, Jesus will say, you guys are the descendants of the devil. You're of your father the devil. And what's eventually going to happen is that those same ones that Jesus is having this conflict with are going to be the ones that kill him and, and have him killed. And so that's where the latter part of verse 15 comes into play where it says, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So the offspring of woman is going to bruise the serpent on the head, but the serpent, the offspring of the serpent, is going to bruise him on the heel. And it creates this really vivid picture of the man walking along, and as he is walking along, the serpent goes to latch on his heel, and as it latches onto his heel, he reaches down and smacks it on the head. 
And that's exactly what happened at the cross. Here, the offspring of Satan has Jesus crucified. It looks like Satan is winning, but the cross is the very thing that did Satan in as Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. As Satan feels like he has a grip on the heel of Jesus, Jesus is coming down and crushing the head of Satan, uh, putting an end to the sin and the agony of death that Satan had introduced into the world. Mm-hmm. And it's just really cool. We don't have all the time in the world to get into the ins and outs of Genesis 3.15, but please understand how important this verse is mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of the Bible. Yeah, and it's just so cool to think about. I mean, God knows all that's going to happen from the very beginning here. And the thing that this helps us with is that God is immediately introducing hope is that there's going to be some dire consequences, and they're going to get even worse in Genesis 4. And it just looks like humanity is in a complete downward spiral, like, how is this going to get better? But God has promised from the very beginning here, from the very first sin, that yes, there's consequences of sin. There's going to be terrible things that happen, but the heel crusher, or the the head crusher, excuse me, uh, is coming, and he will crush the serpent. The one who introduced all this will ultimately be defeated in God's story. And I forgot to mention this, but back in verse 14, someone once pointed out to me when it says, and dust you will eat all the days of your life, that is an implication of an end. (laughs) All of the days of your life. There is an end coming to the serpent's reign and what the serpent has done. There is a finality that is here that verse 14 and 15 talks about. And so very important verses there. Yeah. And I do think it's notable that just like the Lord allowed the serpent in the garden, the Lord does not completely do away with the serpent. Um, He allows the serpent's offspring to continue alongside the seed of the woman. And so there's just going to be this ongoing battle. Mm -hmm. And at the end, and this goes all the way to Revelation, right? When finally, at the very end, the ancient serpent will be thrown in the lake of fire for good. Yes. But in the meantime, they're allowed to grow up. And some of the parables that Jesus told were about like the wheat and the tares. And they said, oh, do you want us to go rip up the the tear, the, the, you know, the, the weeds? And they're like, no, no, let them grow together. Um, and God allows that. God allows the evil and the good and those influences to continue weaving their way through the world. And at the end, he's going to gather the wheat into the barn and burn the chaff. And so anyway, it's really interesting to think about, again, this, these two, uh, these two families, if you will. And it's up to us. We have to choose. Who, which father am I going to, to obey, so to speak? Am I going to be of God the Father? Or am I going to make the devil my father by doing what he does? And again, John 8, there goes into this whole discussion. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the curse to the serpent. Um, to the woman, this is uh, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So technically not a curse. I know we talk about that, but he gives this woman a consequence, and ultimately her descendants are going to all deal with this. Uh, Childbirth is still very painful. We just had a child this year, and that uh, is still the case, absolutely. (laughs) Um, But I don't know what childbirth was like before this. If it was painless, if it was just... Oh, great. Have a child. And apparently Adam and Eve have not had children yet. We're going to see that uh, it's not until Genesis 4, verse 1. Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore Cain. Um, I don't know if she ever got to experience a pre-fall childbirth, but apparently not. And uh, here um, it's interesting to see that 
the woman is given the ability to have children, but now that ability is frustrated. Mm-hmm. It is painful. It is difficult. And it's going to be very similar to the man who is like, you're, you're supposed to work the ground. You're supposed to keep the garden, you know, take care of it. And now that work is going to be frustrated. Right. That's like, these are two good things. Right. That are now much more difficult yes. to do. There are still blessings to be had by God and through God, but there's going to be pain and suffering and hard things to get to the blessing, which again, is just another big Bible theme. Mm-hmm. So he also says, and this is just hard to nail down, but your desire shall be contrary to your husband. I like that translation. But he shall rule over you. And now there are, very, there are different translations here. Yeah. That's the ESV. What do you have? Yeah, the New American Standard just says, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure of all the ins and outs of why that word is added in the ESV. But it does kind of help us understand that there's going to be, just like there's a eternal or a struggle between the serpent and woman, there's also going to be the struggle between man and woman. Mm-hmm. And their desires are going to be contrary to one another's. And we see this in marriages today. Now, through God and through his instruction in Scripture, we can find a way to work through those things. But it is a lot harder. Men and women think differently, fundamentally, on a lot of things. And that, I believe, is part of the curse. You're, you you, two are now having different desires, and you're going to have to learn how to work through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's also interesting is this is, like, really similar to what is said in Genesis 4, verse 7, when Cain is being tempted, and the Lord comes to Cain, and he says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you but you must rule over it. That's consistent in the ESV. It is uh, very, very similar in the original language to your desire shall be contrary yep. to your husband and he shall rule over you. So we're not going to get into like that whole debate right now. But the point is that there is now increased friction in the relationship. And I've seen a really interesting chart. I know we can't show charts on the podcast here. Uh, there might be a way to put a link in the show notes or something. But um, I've seen a really interesting chart that talks about how the curses introduce friction into these relationships. For the woman, it's her relationship to childbearing and then her relationship to her husband. But then in Christ, how, like in the book of Ephesians, these things are reversed, that the husband is told to love his wife. And that kind of counteracts this contrary thing. And the woman is told to submit to her husband voluntarily. And the children are told, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And so what's interesting is, is the things that Jesus is ultimately going to usher in are things that are going to counteract some of the effects of the fall. And so I think that's really interesting uh, to see. And again, you talk more in detail about yep. that. So we'll continue to watch the camera pan around back over to the man and his consequences. We'll read verses 17 through 19 here. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So Adam kind of gets the lion's share of the consequences here. Uh, Three verses here dedicated to him. And God starts off with saying, number one, Adam, 
you listen to the voice of your wife. And I can only imagine maybe some of the internal thoughts Adam is having. Well, you know, she was so convincing. She says, well, you know, all the excuses that might be coming through. But at the end of the day, God said what the consequence would be. God said to stay away from this and not to eat from it. It should not matter who it is in your life who's telling you it's okay. You got to stay away. Mm-hmm. That's a big lesson for us. When God says something, that's final. It doesn't matter who else it is or what else it is. We have to listen to what he said. God mm-hmm. says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you, and until you will eat of it all the days of your life. Mm-hmm. So this curse is handed to Adam directly because of his inability to obey God and listening to someone else. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so the curse here is for the ground specifically, that creation is cursed because of Adam and Eve's sin. And that's significant because later we're just going to see that sin doesn't just affect us. It affects everything around us. It affects our relationships and even affects creation, which, I mean, creation is not animate in this sense. Like the creation didn't sin, the animals didn't sin, the ground didn't sin, but it is affected by the fallout from sin. And uh, God has told man, hey, I've given you this garden. Like, look at this amazing place that you, you can get food from it. It's just beautiful and enjoy this. And now it's hard. Mm-hmm. Originally, work was a blessing uh, when man was put in the garden to work it and keep it. But now it is in toil. You will eat of it all the days of your life. Um, and again, all the days of your life, uh, which is interesting that uh, their lives are about to be limited as well. Yep. Um, and this is also where thorns are first introduced in the Bible. And there's an interesting thread you can follow with thorns. But I'll just jump kind of to the end and say it's amazing that when the Roman soldiers are mocking Jesus, preparing to crucify him, they choose, I'm sure unwittingly, they choose to take thorns and twist it together as a crown and beat it into his head. And it's such an amazing image of the crown of thorns because Jesus on the cross is bearing our sins in his body on the tree. And that symbol of the crown of thorns, they're using it to mock Jesus, but it is a perfectly fitting symbol that he is being exalted and crowned by bearing the results of our sin. Our thorns from our sin are being put on him. And that is his glorification. His crowning is him bearing that for us. That's just a fascinating image that comes from right here. The thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. Yes. And uh, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That uh, Job will actually use that phrasing as well. But man is, is going to go back to the ground, um, and that is the end of every man. So mm-hmm. Death is the result of sin. Yep. And so there might be a little nuance to say here. We won't get into all the details of this, but God said, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And I think there is a sense in which Adam and Eve did die that day. Um, death is the idea of separation. Mm-hmm. And there are different kinds of death. Uh, Physical death is where our body becomes separated from our soul. Uh, Spiritual death is where we are separated from God. And there was immediately a separation that happened, a break in the relationship. Where are you? What have you done? You know, Um, and now God is having to punish 
his creation. There's friction. There's a broken relationship. And so there's a sense in which they did die to God on that day. But there's also a sense in which physical death was introduced that day. Even though they did not physically die that day, they said, okay, you came from dust, and now the reverse process has begun. Mm -hmm. You are on your way back to the dust. And that consequence of sin, not the guilt of sin, that consequence of sin will pass on through all of humanity. All of us are dust, and we're headed back to the dust. And we're not guilty of Adam and Eve's sin. There's a whole theological debate about that, but we did not eat the fruit in the garden. We've done our own sin. But we do bear the physical consequence of sin that comes down through humanity after this. We all are headed back to the dust. Yep. So this brings us to verses 20 through 24. Uh, We can go ahead and read that next section here. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reached out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So now we learn what the woman's name is. This is actually the first place that it happens, right? Yeah, so what's interesting is she gets named twice. Yeah. When she's created, he names her woman. Right. Isha instead of Ish because um, she's taken from man. But now he gives her a new name. Yeah. He's, she's not named Eve apparently until after the fall. Yeah, and Eve just means life, correct? It sounds like the word for life giver. Life giver. Okay, mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. Because now... She's the mother of all living. Yeah. And I think that this is a really important pivot point that actually I think shows repentance from Adam and Eve because there's kind of a question now. Okay, well, the world's cursed now. Um, Are you going to take up the role that God's given you to be fruitful and multiply and continue to live in God's world even though now it's going to be hard, it's going to be painful? And I think this is Adam saying, all right, Eve, Let's do this. Mm-hmm. You, you need to give life. And also because of the curse, but the promise that's just happened, that through the seed of the woman is going to come the serpent crusher. Yep. And so we're going to name you Life Giver, Eve. And you are the one who's going to start this process through which God is going to redeem us and redeem the world. And so it starts here. And so I think this is an idea of Adam and Eve. It doesn't say it in the text, but I think it's implied that they're saying, okay, we are going to continue to do this thing and serve the Lord. And as a result of that, I think we see a picture of forgiveness in verse 21. Mm -hmm. When God makes skins and covers Adam and Eve, they tried to cover themselves, couldn't do it. This is really the first sacrifice that we see. Mm. Something had to die in order to cover Adam and Eve. And so God did this. He was the one that made the sacrifice. Again, I think there's foreshadows here of Jesus. But this is sufficient covering for them. God, when he supplies a covering, it is always 100% good. And that is what we see in Jesus Christ as well. Yes. We are 100% covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, nothing else. Our own ways of covering our sin will always be insufficient. Yes. Just like the loincloths they made. And we need to be clothed with Christ. So that this is a beautiful foreshadowing, again, of the 
forgiveness. And again, I think Adam and Eve are forgiven here. Mm-hmm. That okay, God's going to work with them. But the final consequence, the final part of the fallout, is the exile from Eden. And exile is going to become another Bible long theme of being outside of the garden, being outside of where God is, and trying to get back there. And so, I do think an interesting part of the exile, though is that God has introduced pain and suffering to the world because of sin. But God does not want that to last forever. And so part of the exile is actually to limit their access to the tree of life in their fallen state. Mm -hmm. We're going to see the tree of life come back again. God's intention is for men to get back to the tree of life. It's going to be at the very end of the Bible. That once the curse is destroyed, the serpent's gone, we are redeemed, then we get back to the tree of life mm-hmm. and can eat and live forever with God. But God allows suffering and pain to enter the world, but he limits it and says, I don't want man to live forever like this. And so I'm going to seal that off and I'm going to make a way back through my son. Yes. And so these cherubim are stationed outside of it with flaming swords, which turn every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And um, cherubim will be used again in the New Testament, as well as some of this uh, fire flaming stuff. It's all really cool imagery that's used throughout the rest of the Bible. But there's an, an, an anticipation at the end of chapter three here. When is mankind going to reconcile with God? When are they going to come back to this garden-like figure to dwell with their God? And as we continue to fast forward, and maybe we'll even plug our Old Testament overview uh, season we did a few seasons back now here, you'll see that even whenever the children of Israel are led out of Egypt and they get to the promised land and they build this temple, there's still there's God in his temple, but there's not anyone can just march in there. You know, there's still this separation. It only anticipates further the need for Jesus Christ to be our intercessor, to be the one that is the ladder between us and God that can take us to the Father confidently, as the book of Hebrews talks about. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so there's a lot of anticipation here as we come to the end of the chapter. Yeah, amen. So it's powerful to think about um, how does God react when we sin? There are dire consequences for us and for those that we love and for the world itself. But God makes a way mm-hmm. for a future to still happen. And he partners with us and says, okay, if you will work with me, we're going we're gonna to work through your descendants and there's going to come one who will crush the head of the serpent and bring all this back to where it was supposed to be. But we're in the midst of that conflict now. We are living in the time of the battle. Yeah. And the question is, will we continue to listen to the voice of the Lord or will we listen to the serpent's voice or that's other right. voices in our life that will lead us astray? Um, so that's, it leaves us all with a choice. Yeah. So Lord willing, we're going to wrap up this season next week with chapter 4 of Genesis. Uh, we'll get to talk about the offspring of the woman, the first offspring, Cain and Abel, and talk about some interesting things there that really continue this theme of what do we do when we sin and how do we handle conflict? So Lord willing, we'll look at that next week. Yeah. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening. Um, If you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe. Uh, Leave us a rating or a review so we can reach more people. If you're interested in studying the Bible with us or you have Bible questions, 717-585-0949 or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information about group studies and worship, uh, check us out at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.